Well, good morning. As you know, if you are a parent, I heard a parent say not too long ago that if you have children and you ever listen to them pray at night, they will always pray for three things. They will pray that they have a good night's sleep, that they don't have nightmares, and that they have a good day tomorrow. Good night's sleep, don't have nightmares, and they have a good day tomorrow. As adults, we're more mature than that. But I've noticed we only pray for three things. We pray for ourselves, for our families, and a couple of sick people. You ever notice that? We pray for ourselves, for our families, and a couple of sick people. And what happens is over time, we just gravitational pull, we begin to pray for ourselves more than anything. The subject of our prayers is me. Or in your case, you. In fact, here's a convicting question. If all your prayers had been answered this week, would anyone other than you be better off? If all your prayers had been answered this week. Here's another thing that I've noticed. Not only do we pray about ourselves most, the thing that we pray for most is increased safety. And sprinkle a little comfort in there too, God, if you would. Increase it. God, would you remove all the risk and would you take away the things that make us uncomfortable? That's what we're praying about most often. Now, because we're more mature and because we want to make it a little more spiritual, we've kind of come up with a new language that helps us pray mostly for safety. And we, th we use terms like this. God, would you give us traveling mercies? God, would you watch over us? Would you protect us? And would you put a hedge of protection around us, right? You hear these terms that we use, nothing wrong with that. I'm not criticizing that. I think we should continue to pray for these things. It's just what's changed is it's become our primary theme. And over time, here's the fear, we are no longer tapping into the power of God and praying with bold prayers. We're retreating and asking for safety and comfort as we pray mostly for ourselves. Now, here's the challenge, here's the problem with that. There has become an inconsistency or a gap in the size of our God versus the size of our prayers. We talk like our God is big, but we often pray like our God is small. For example, I will say, I know that my God is the creator of this world and he holds the nations in his hands. And then I will settle for, so God, if you would, would you give me a good day? Maybe even heal up my allergies or my sinuses. And then over here we'll say, well, I know that God, you place the stars in the galaxies. And then I'll settle for, could you help me find my iPhone? The remote control? There's a gap between the size of our God and the size of our prayer. It's as if we talk like we believe in a big God, but we pray like we believe in a small God. Are we tapping into the power of creator God? And here's what I want us to look at today. How did the Christians in the first century, those early brothers and sisters who followed Jesus, pray? We're going to look at one of the very first prayers ever recorded after Jesus launched the church. And I think 
you're going to see a completely different approach in prayer. And I wonder often, how do they get the gospel out of the first century? We're about to see a difference in the way they prayed. And I can't help but think that we can be inspired by their prayer life. So let's take a journey 2,000 years ago, and we're going to gather with a group of people who are in a house, scared to death for their lives. And they're going to have a quick little prayer meeting. And we're going to get to peek into that house and hear the very words that they prayed that day. This, I believe, is holy ground. The very birthplace of our faith, Christianity, and one of the most powerful prayers ever prayed. So if you've got your Bibles, I hope you'll go with me to Acts chapter 4 as we continue our series of the book of Acts. Hey, several of you already met you. This is your first time here. I'm so glad that you're here. Some of you, you're back for the first time since COVID began, and we're so grateful to have you back as well. And we're going through the book of Acts. If you don't have a Bible, look in front of you, and you'll see in the pew in front of you that there's a Bible. By the way, we're slowly improving the lighting around here so that you can read your Bible a little better. We're grateful for that. So I'm Hey, if you haven't brought it, start bringing it. Patrick, I don't know where you are, but he showed me he brought his Bible today, and I'm grateful for that. If you didn't bring it this week, bring it next week. I'm telling you, there's nothing like interacting with the Word of God. Bring a pen and write in it as well. This is a chance to interact in what I believe is the living Word of God. So let's pick it up together in Acts chapter 4. If you missed last week, let me catch you up quickly by just telling you, we looked at two people, Peter and John. These are two people who were monumental in the early church, in the early faith of Christianity. And yet they were arrested as the first obstacle of the early church. They were arrested because they couldn't stop talking about the resurrection of Jesus. And thousands of people were coming to know this Jesus. And it really bothered those religious leaders so much so that they arrested Peter and John. They spent the night in jail. And they end up going before the court, before the Sanhedrin, thinking their life may about to be taken, but instead their lives were threatened, and then they released Peter and John. And some would say, one Jewish historian said, that was the fatal mistake if you wanted to stop Christianity, because Peter and John went from there and did one thing that ends up changing the trajectory of the church. And that's the one thing we're going to look at today. If you take the book of Acts from here, as we continue through the book, you're going to see it begin to explode around from Jerusalem, then around to the Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And I believe this is the pivot point. They're really experiencing opposition, and then they do this one thing. All right, let's go. I've set it up enough. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. I love, I believe this is holy ground as we look at it. Look at the beginning of this, what's happening. On their release, remember we saw in the previous verse, Sanhedrin has said, we're threatening you. We don't know what those threats are, but we know because they're the ones who condemn Jesus to be executed, that more than likely it includes a life-threatening um, action on their part. They threatened Peter and John, and so on their release, Peter and John, they go back to the house where they've been gathering with these other Christians. So you can imagine what that walk is like, is they're like, wow, we didn't lose our life today. But we're going to go back to these other Christians and we've got to tell them what happened. And that's exactly what they do. It says, they went back to their own people and they reported that the chief priests and the elders had what they had said to them. So they're updating them on the threats. 
And can you imagine what that conversation would be like? They said this. They said they may come and arrest all of us. They said we may be in jail for the rest of our lives. They say if we keep talking about Jesus, they may end up ending our life. We could imagine what the threats might have been. And watch their response. It says, and when they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer. Now, here's what I wonder. If you and I would have been in that house 2,000 years ago, how would we have prayed? What would our prayer be in that moment? I think we know what our prayer would have been. We would have said things like, traveling mercies, hedge of protection, God, protective hand, watch over us, take care of us, my children. And then we would have started measuring out where's the fence line going to go, where are the security guards going to go. Like, we got to take care of all of our people. We've got to protect, protect, raise the safety, raise the safety. We've got to be careful. And there's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But I want you to see how they prayed in this first century at the very beginning of our faith. Watch the very words of this wonderful prayer. They raised their voices together in prayer to God and they said, Sovereign God. They begin by recognizing who God is, that he's all powerful, that he's omnipotent, that yes, the Sanhedrin thinks they're in charge, but God, we know you're in charge. They threaten us, but it's you who we fear. It's you who we honor. Sovereign God. You made the heavens and the earth and the sea, and everything in them. They're not only talking like God is big, they're praying like God is big. And I don't know about you, but I've noticed in my own life, the bigger God gets, the smaller my problems get. Have you ever noticed that? Like the bigger God gets in my own eyes, the smaller my fear gets. The, the bigger God gets, the more my power rises up within me to realize, wow, I am serving a sovereign God who is ultimately in charge of even the things I can't yet see. And that's where they begin. They begin to recognize who God is. But then watch. They, they speak to God. You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David. So they're saying we have a faith that goes back years and years. By this point, they're pointing back to a thousand years B.C. So they're pointing back a thousand years. Just like we sang a hymn just now that's ancient. They're pointing back as well and they're tapping into that. And they're saying, our father David, who said, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The king of the earth rise up. And the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. God, you're in charge no matter what the kings do. David told us that. We're living that out today. And then they go on to say, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate, who had just sentenced Jesus to his death, they met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed Oh, but then watch this. Watch how they are able to put the sovereignty of God even in the middle of a tragedy. And they say, but they did what your power and your will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, Lord, watch this. Consider their threats. Now, if I'm honest with you, this is the moment in the prayer where, like, I would have... I would have been about me, not about him or them. 
right? I would have said, God, you're sovereign and you can do anything. And God, you heard them threaten us. Now go get them, God. Take them out, right? Like this is the chance for revenge because you're in charge and they just did something. That, God, go get them. But watch what they're about to pray. God, you're sovereign and in charge. You heard their threats. And the temptation is increased safety here. But this is where it moves me. Every time I read this, in those early Christians, and here's the one thing they did. They prayed boldly. Watch this next part. In the height of this threat and fear, it says, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great, say that next word with me, boldness. I would underline that, circle that word, because I would think we would pray, enable us to be safe. They said, enable us to be bold. Do you pray like that? When was the last time we prayed for boldness? Watch the next verse. They're not done. As we peek into this moment in history and hear the very prayer they prayed. Enable us to speak with great boldness. And then watch this. And stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. When was the last time you asked God to stretch out his hand and perform signs and wonders. You might think, I don't go to one of those churches. But sometimes we're hesitant because we're envisioning something that's happening inside of a church. That wasn't what they were praying at all. They were praying about something that would happen out in the community. Think about what happened at the end of chapter 3 whenever they actually went out and had a man who was crippled and he was lame from birth. And they actually, God used them to heal this man and there, because of that sign and wonder, thousands of people came to know Christ. And in the shadow of that, they're saying, God, would you do something like that again? Would you continue to do miraculous things through us so that other people come to know Jesus? They're not talking about at church. They're talking about in the community, in their neighborhood, in their schools, at their work. They're talking about as they walk the streets. God, would you do something through us that calls other people to see you? You see, here's what's really fascinating about all throughout the New Testament. Did you know that none of the healings, that even when Lazarus, who was raised from the dead, every single one of these miracles were temporary healings. They all eventually died. It's not like we're walking around Plano and we have a 2,000-year-old man who goes, yeah, Jesus healed me and I'm still kind of moved here 100 years ago. I just never died, Right? No, they all eventually died. The point of their healing was never for them. The point of their healing was so that others could see the miraculous power of God and be drawn to him. And so here, Peter and John and the others are gathered and they're saying, God, would you do something through us, supernatural, so that others would be drawn to you? You see, the size of their prayers honors and matches the size of our God. I know you hung the stars in the galaxies. You can do anything. I know you're sovereign and you created this world and you hold the nations in your hand. God, you can do anything. So we're going to honor who you are by praying the kinds of prayers that only you can answer. 
Would you draw other people to you through miracles by using us in the moment? Here's what I like. The kind of prayer they prayed was not, God, would you save my neighbor? God, would you save my coworker? Instead, they were praying a more bold prayer, and they were saying, God, would you use me in the saving of a neighbor, a coworker? And that's a bolder prayer, isn't it? God, would you give me the courage to just do something through me to help let them see you? This is the kind of boldness that they had. Now watch what happens next. I love this because this kind of brings us back to chapter 2. Look what it says. And after they prayed, don't know how long they prayed, if that was the full extent of the prayer, but I never saw anything about safety. That was missing, wasn't it? Maybe it was there, but we didn't see it. It's all about boldness. Now look at the next verse. It says, after they prayed, despite being in the shadow of this threat, the place where they were meeting was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And watch this. As a result, they spoke the word of God. Say that word with me, boldly. I'd circle that, underline that word. We see it again. God, would you enable your servant to speak the word of God boldly? And by verse 31, the Spirit filled them. And guess what? He answered it, and they spoke the word of God boldly. You see, this is a warning that if you're going to pray this prayer, God tends to answer it. And they prayed the prayer. God answered it. And all of a sudden, we're going to see throughout the book of Acts, the word of God begins to spread. The faith of Jesus Christ begins to spread. And the church begins to grow. And we see a pivot point right here where they began to pray boldly. Is that missing in our 21st century prayers? You see, I believe the difference between LifePoint Church today and the LifePoint Church of the future will be the boldness of our prayers. You see, I believe the difference between a church that's going through the motions in the future and a church that's experiencing a revival in the future will be the difference in the boldness of their prayers. Because there is a faith that grows when I begin to ask God to do things that only he can do. It doesn't make any sense because I could never do what I'm asking you to do, God. And if you do it, you and you alone will get the glory in your own family, in your own life with God. The difference between where you are today and where you could be in the future may be the boldness of your prayers. So I want to encourage you to begin praying this prayer. It's a, it's a bold prayer, and it's taken from this prayer of our first century brothers and sisters in history. And so, in fact, what I want to do is we're going to close this part of the service. I want us to actually say this prayer together. It's just a little prayer. There's nothing magic in it, but it's taken from this passage. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to invite you to stand, and we're going to pray this together. And if you're not a Christian, then I just would tell you, you don't have to play along with this. You don't have to say this. I don't want to put you in any kind of uncomfortable spot. But if you are a Christ follower, I want to ask you to play along and participate. And here's why. The boldness of those Christians 2,000 years ago got the gospel out of the first century and to us so that we could know Christ today. And the next generation, their faith may largely depend on our boldness today to get the gospel to them.
We must be bold. So let's do this. Church, would you stand with me? And it's going to appear on the screen. It's just a two-sentence prayer. I want us to say it out loud. You can go online. You can always go to sermon notes, and you'll kind of see an outline, or you may just want to take a picture of it or write it down here. I just want to encourage you to consider some, in some way, don't stop praying for traveling mercies. Continue to do that for your allergies and sinuses. I don't want to minimize that. I just want to encourage you to add this to your prayers. So we're going to say this out loud together twice. Let's say it. Help me speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and do something through me so others will see you. One more time. Help me speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and do something through me so others will see you. Let's pray. Father, that is a prayer that you promised to answer. God, I pray that you will answer that prayer at LifePoint Church in ways that astonish us all. And it's in Jesus' powerful, risen name that I pray. Amen.